0: Chapter thirteen Gender Gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes. The Cabalion. The great seventh hermetic principle, the principle of gender, embodies the truth that there is gender manifested in everything that the masculine and feminine principles are ever-present and active in all phases of phenomena, on each and every plane of life. At this point, we think it well to call your attention to the fact that gender, in its hermetic sense, and sex, in the ordinarily accepted use of the term, are not the same. The word gender is derived from the Latin root meaning to beget, to procreate, to generate, to create, to produce. A moment's consideration will show you that the word has a much broader and more general meaning than the term sex, the latter referring to the physical distinctions between male and female living things. Sex is merely a manifestation of gender on a certain plane of the great physical plane, the plane of organic life. We wish to impress this distinction upon your minds, for the reason that certain writers, who have acquired a smattering of the hermetic philosophy, have sought to identify this seventh hermetic principle with wild and fanciful and often reprehensible theories and teachings regarding sex. The office of gender is solely that of creating, producing, generating, etc., and its manifestations are visible on every plane of the phenomena. It is somewhat difficult to produce proofs of this along scientific lines, for the reason that science has not as yet recognized this principle as of universal application. But still, some proofs are forthcoming from scientific sources. In the first place, we find a distinct manifestation of the principle of gender among the corpuscles, ions, or electrons, which constitute the basis of matter as science, now knows the latter, and which, by forming certain combinations from the atom, which until lately was regarded as final and indivisible. The latest word of science is that the atom is composed of a multitude of corpuscles, electrons, or ions, the various names being applied by different authorities, revolving around each other and vibrating at a high degree and intensity. But the accompanying statement is made that the formation of the atom is really due to the clustering of negative corpuscles around a positive one the positive corpuscles seeming to exert a certain influence upon the negative corpuscles, causing the latter to assume certain combinations, and thus create or generate an atom. This is in line with the most ancient hermetic teachings, which have always identified the masculine principle of gender with the positive and the feminine with the negative poles of electricity, so-called. Now, a word at this point regarding this identification. The public mind has formed an entirely erroneous impression regarding the qualities of the so-called negative pole of electrified or magnetized matter. The terms positive and negative are very wrongly applied to this phenomenon by science. The word positive means something real and strong as compared with a negative unreality or weakness. Nothing is further from the real facts of electrical phenomenon. The so-called negative pole of the battery is really the pole in and by which the generation or production of new forms and energies is manifested. There is nothing negative about it. The best scientific authorities now use the word cathode in place of negative. The word cathode coming from the Greek root meaning descent, the path of generation, etc., from the cathode pole emerged the swarm of electrons or corpuscles. From the same pole emerge those wonderful rays which have revolutionized scientific conceptions during the past decade. The cathode pole is the mother of all of the strange phenomena which have rendered useless the old textbooks and which have caused many long-accepted theories to be relegated to the scrap pile of scientific speculation. The cathode or negative pole is the mother principle of electrical phenomena, and of the finest forms of matter as yet known to science. So you see, we are justified in refusing to use the term negative in our consideration of the subject, and insisting upon substituting the word feminine for the old term. The facts of the case bear us out in this, without taking the hermetic teachings into consideration. And so we shall use the word feminine in the place of negative in speaking of that pole of activity. The latest scientific teachings are that the creative corpuscles or electrons are feminine. Science says they are composed of negative electricity. We say they are composed of feminine energy. A feminine corpuscle becomes detached from or rather leaves a masculine corpuscle and starts on a new career. It actively seeks a union with a masculine corpuscle, being urged thereto by the natural impulse to create new forms of matter or energy. One writer goes so far as to use the term, it at once seeks, of its own volition, a union, etc. This detachment and uniting form the basis of the greater part of the activities of the chemical world. When the feminine corpuscle unites with the masculine corpuscle, a certain process is begun. The feminine particles vibrate rapidly under the influence of the masculine energy, and circle rapidly around the latter. The result is the birth of a new atom. This new atom is really composed of a union of the masculine and feminine electrons, or corpuscles, but when the union is formed, the atom is a separate thing, having certain properties, but no longer manifesting the property of free electricity. The process of detachment or separation of the feminine electrons is called ionization. These electrons or corpuscles are the most active workers in nature's field. Arising from their unions or combinations manifest the varied phenomena of light, heat, electricity, magnetism, attraction, repulsion, chemical affinity, and the reverse, and similar phenomena and all this arises from the operation of the principle of gender on the plane of energy. The part of the masculine principle seems to be that of directing a certain inherent energy toward the feminine principle, and thus starting into activity the creative processes. But the feminine principle is the only one always doing the act of creative work, and this is so on all planes. And yet each principle is incapable of operative energy without the assistance of the other. In some of the forms of life, the two principles are combined in one organism. For that matter, everything in the organic world manifests both genders. There is always the masculine present in the feminine form, and the feminine form present in the masculine. The hermetic teachings include much regarding the operation of the two principles of gender, in the production and manifestation of various forms of energy, etc., but we do not deem it expedient to go into detail regarding the same at this point, because we are unable to back up the same with scientific proof, for the reason that science has not yet progressed thus far. But the example we have given you of the phenomena of the electrons or corpuscles will show you that science is on the right path, and will also give you a general idea of the underlying principles. Some leading scientific investigators have announced their belief that in the formation of crystals, there was to be found something that corresponded to sex activity, which is another straw showing the direction the scientific winds are blowing, and each year will bring other facts to corroborate the correctness of the hermetic principle of gender. It will be found that gender is in constant operation and manifestation in the field of inorganic matter, and in the field of energy or force. Electricity is now generally regarded as the something into which all other forms of energy seem to melt or dissolve. The electrical theory of the universe is the latest scientific doctrine and is growing rapidly in popularity and general acceptance, and it thus follows that if we are able to discover in the phenomena of electricity, even at the very root and source of its manifestations— a clear and unmistakable evidence of the presence of gender and its activities, we are justified in asking you to believe that science at last has offered proofs of the existence in all universal phenomena of that great hermetic principle, the principle of gender. It is not necessary to take up your time with the well-known phenomena of the attraction and repulsion of the atoms, chemical affinity, the loves and hates of the atomic particles the attraction or cohesion between the molecules of matter. These facts are too well known to need extended comment from us. But have you ever considered that all of these things are manifestations of the gender principle? Can you not see that the phenomena is on all fours, with that of the corpuscles or electrons? And more than this, can you not see the reasonableness of the hermetic teachings, which assert that the very law of gravitation— That strange attraction by reason of which all particles and bodies of matter in the universe tend toward each other, is but another manifestation of the principle of gender, which operates in the direction of attracting the masculine to the feminine energies, and vice versa. We cannot offer you scientific proof of this at this time, but examine the phenomena in the light of the hermetic teachings on the subject, and see if you have not a better working hypothesis than any offered by physical science submit all physical phenomena to the test, and you will discern the principle of gender ever in evidence. Let us now pass on to a consideration of the operation of the principle on the mental plane. Many interesting features are there awaiting examination. Chapter 14 Mental Gender Students of psychology who have followed the modern trend of thought along the lines of mental phenomena are struck by the persistence of the dual-mind idea, which has manifested itself so strongly during the past ten or fifteen years, and which has given rise to a number of plausible theories regarding the nature and constitution of these two minds. The late Thompson J. Hudson attained great popularity in 1893 by advancing his well-known theory of the objective and Subjective minds, which he held existed in every individual. Other writers have attracted almost equal attention by the theories regarding the conscious and subconscious minds, the voluntary and involuntary minds, the active and passive minds, etc., etc. The theories of the various writers differ from each other, but there remains the underlying principle of the duality of mind. The student of the Hermetic philosophy is tempted to smile. When he reads and hears of these many new theories regarding the duality of mind, each school adhering tenaciously to its own pet theories, and each claiming to have discovered the truth, the student turns back the pages of occult history, and away back in the dim beginnings of occult teachings, he finds references to the ancient Hermetic doctrine of the principle of gender on the mental plane, the manifestation of mental gender, and examining further. He finds that the ancient philosophy took cognizance of the phenomenon of the dual mind and accounted for it by the theory of mental gender. This idea of mental gender may be explained in a few words to students who are familiar with the modern theories just alluded to. The masculine principle of mind corresponds to the so-called objective mind, conscious mind, voluntary mind, active mind, etc., and the feminine principle of mind corresponds to the so-called subjective mind, subconscious mind, involuntary mind, passive mind, etc. Of course, the Hermetic teachings do not agree with the many modern theories regarding the nature of these two phases of mind, nor does it admit many of the facts claimed for the two respective aspects, some of the said theories and claims being very far-fetched and incapable of standing the test of experiment and demonstration. We point to the phases of agreement merely for the purpose of helping the student to assimilate his previously acquired knowledge with the teachings of the Hermetic philosophy. Students of Hudson will notice the statement at the beginning of his second chapter of The Law of Psychic Phenomena that The mystic jargon of the Hermetic philosophers discloses the same general idea, i.e., the duality of mind. If Dr. Hudson had taken the time and trouble to decipher a little of The mystic jargon of the Hermetic philosophy, he might have received much light upon the subject of the dual mind. But then, perhaps, his most interesting work might not have been written. Let us now consider the Hermetic teachings regarding mental gender. The Hermetic teachers impart their instruction regarding this subject by bidding their students examine the report of their consciousness regarding their self. The students are bidden to turn their attention inward upon the self dwelling within reach. Each student is led to see that his consciousness gives him first a report of the existence of his self. The report is, I am. This at first seems to be the final words from the consciousness, but a little further examination discloses the fact that this I am may be separated or split into two distinct parts or aspects, which, while working in unison and in conjunction, yet nevertheless may be separated in consciousness. While at first there seems to be only an I existing, a more careful and closer examination reveals the fact that there exists an I and a me. These mental twins differ in their characteristics and nature, and an examination of their nature and the phenomena arising from the same will throw much light upon many of the problems of mental influence. Let us begin with the consideration of the me, which is usually mistaken for the I by the student until he presses the inquiry a little further back into the recesses of consciousness. A man thinks of his self, in its aspect of me, as being composed of certain feelings, tastes, likes, dislikes, habits, peculiar ties, characteristics, etc., all of which go to make up his personality, or the self, known to himself and others. He knows that these emotions and feelings change, are born and die away are subject to the principle of rhythm, and the principle of polarity, which take him from one extreme of feeling to another. He also thinks of the me as being certain knowledge gathered together in his mind, and thus forming a part of himself. This is the me of a man. But we have proceeded too hastily. The me of many men may be said to consist largely of their consciousness of the body, and their physical appetites, etc., their consciousness being largely bound up with their bodily nature. They practically live there. Some men even go so far as to regard their personal apparel as part of their me, and actually seem to consider it a part of themselves. A writer has humorously said that men consist of three parts, soul, body, and clothes. These clothes-conscious people would lose their personality if divested of their clothing by savages upon the occasion of a shipwreck. But even many who are not so closely bound up with the idea of personal raiment stick closely to the consciousness of their bodies, being their me. They cannot conceive of a self independent of the body. Their mind seems to them to be practically a something belonging to their body, which in many cases it is indeed. But as man rises in the scale of consciousness, he is able to distangle his me from his idea of body, and is able to think of his body as belonging to the mental part of him. But even then, he is very apt to identify the me entirely with the mental states, feelings, etc., which he feels to exist within him. He is very apt to consider these internal states as identical with himself, instead of there being simply things produced by some part of his mentality, and existing within him, of him and in him, but still not himself. He sees that he may change these internal states of feelings by all effort of will, and that he may produce a feeling or state of an exactly opposite nature, in the same way and yet the same me exists. And so after a while he is able to set aside these various mental states, emotions, feelings, habits, qualities, characteristics, and other personal mental belongings, he is able to set them aside in the not-me collection of curiosities and encumbrances, as well as valuable possessions. This requires much mental concentration and power of mental analysis on the part of the student. But still, the task is possible for the advanced student, and even those not so far advanced are able to see, in the imagination, how the process may be performed. After this laying-aside process has been performed, the student will find himself in conscious possession of a self, which may be considered in its I and me dual aspects. The me will be felt to be a something mental in which thoughts, ideas, emotions, feelings, and other mental states may be produced. It may be considered as the mental womb, as the ancients styled it, capable of generating mental offspring. It reports to the consciousness as a me- with latent powers of creation and generation of mental progeny of all sorts and kinds. Its powers of creative energy are felt to be enormous, but still it seems to be conscious that it must receive some form of energy from either its I companion or else from some other I, ere it is able to bring into being its mental creations. This consciousness brings with it a realization of an enormous capacity for mental work and creative ability. But the student soon finds that this is not all that he finds within his inner consciousness. He finds that there exists a mental something which is able to will that the me act along certain creative lines, and which is also able to stand aside and witness the mental creation. This part of himself he is taught to call his I. He is able to rest in its consciousness at will. He finds there is not a consciousness of an ability. To generate and actively create, in the sense of the gradual process attendant upon mental operations, but rather a sense and consciousness of an ability to project an energy from the I to the me, a process of willing that the mental creation begin and proceed. He also finds that the I is able to stand aside and witness the operations of the me's mental creation and generation. There is this dual aspect in the mind of every person. The I represents the masculine principle of mental gender. The me represents the female principle. The I represents the aspect of being. The me, the aspect of becoming. You will notice that the principle of correspondence operates on this plane, just as it does upon the great plane upon which the creation of universes is performed. The two are similar in kind, although vastly different in degree. As above, so below as below, so above. These aspects of mind, the masculine and feminine principles, the I and the me, considered in connection with the well-known mental and psychic phenomena, give the master key to these dimly known regions of mental operation and manifestation. The principle of mental gender gives the truth underlying the whole field of the phenomena of mental influence, etc., The tendency of the feminine principle is always in the direction of receiving impressions, while the tendency of the masculine principle is always in the direction of giving, out, or expressing. The feminine principle has a much more varied field of operation than has the masculine principle. The feminine principle conducts the work of generating new thoughts, concepts, ideas, including the work of the imagination. The masculine principle contents itself with the work of the will, in its varied phases. And yet, without the active aid of the will of the masculine principle, the feminine principle is apt to rest content with generating mental images, which are the result of impressions received from outside, instead of producing original mental creations. Persons who can give continued attention and thought to a subject actively employ both of the mental principles, the feminine in the work of the mental generation, and the masculine will in stimulating and energizing the creative portion of the mind. The majority of persons really employ the masculine principle but little, and are content to live according to the thoughts and ideas instilled into the me from the eye of other minds. But it is not our purpose to dwell upon this phase of the subject, which may be studied from any good textbook upon psychology, with the key that we have given you regarding mental gender. The student of psychic phenomena is aware of the wonderful phenomena classified under the head of telepathy, thought transference, mental influence, suggestion, hypnotism, etc. Many have sought for an explanation of these varied phases of phenomena under the theories of the various dual-mind teachers, and in a measure they are right, for there is clearly a manifestation of two distinct phases of mental activity. But if such students will consider these dual minds, in the light of the hermetic teachings regarding vibrations and mental gender, they will see that the long-sought-for key is at hand. In the phenomena of telepathy, it is seen how the vibratory energy of the masculine principle is projected toward the feminine principle of another person, and the latter takes the seed thought and allows it to develop into maturity. In the same way, suggestion and hypnotism operates The masculine principle of the person giving the suggestions directs a stream of vibratory energy or willpower toward the feminine principle of the other person, and the latter accepting it makes it its own and acts and thinks accordingly. An idea thus lodged into the mind of another person grows and develops, and in time is regarded as the rightful mental offspring of the individual, whereas it is in reality, like the cuckoo egg placed in the sparrow's nest, where it destroys the rightful offspring and makes itself at home. The normal method is for the masculine and feminine principles in a person's mind to coordinate and act harmoniously in conjunction with each other. But, unfortunately, the masculine principle in the average person is too lazy to act, the display of willpower is too slight, and the consequence is that such persons are ruled almost entirely by the minds and wills of other persons whom they allow to do their thinking and willing for them. How few original thoughts or original actions are performed by the average person. Are not the majority of persons mere shadows and echoes of others, having stronger wills or minds than themselves? The trouble is that the average person dwells almost altogether in his me consciousness and does not realize that he has such a thing as an I. He is polarized in his feminine principle of mind, and the masculine principle, in which is lodged the will, is allowed to remain inactive and not employed. The strong men and women of the world invariably manifest the masculine principle of will, and their strength depends materially upon this fact. Instead of living upon the impressions made upon their minds by others, they dominate their own minds by their will, obtaining the kind of mental images desired, and moreover, dominate the minds of others likewise, in the same manner. Look at the strong people, how they manage to implant their seed thoughts in the minds of the masses of the people, thus causing the latter to think thoughts in accordance with the desires and wills of the strong individuals. This is why the masses of people are such sheep-like creatures, never originating an idea of their own, nor using their own powers of mental activity. The manifestation of mental gender may be noticed all around us in everyday life. The magnetic persons are those who are able to use the masculine principle in the way of impressing their ideas upon others. The actor, who makes people weep or cry as he wills, is employing this principle. And so is the successful orator, statesman, preacher, writer, or other people who are before the public attention. The peculiar influence exerted by some people over others is due to the manifestation of mental gender along the vibrational lines above indicated. In this principle lies the secret of personal magnetism, personal influence, fascination, etc., as well as the phenomena generally grouped under the name of hypnotism. The student who has familiarized himself with the phenomena, generally spoken of as psychic, will have discovered the important part played in the said phenomena by that force which science has styled, suggestion, by which term is meant the process or method whereby an idea is transferred to, or impressed upon, the mind of another, causing the second mind to act in accordance therewith. A correct understanding of suggestion is necessary in order to intelligently comprehend the varied physical phenomena which suggestion underlies, but, still more, is a knowledge of vibration and mental gender necessary for the student of suggestion, for the whole principle of suggestion depends upon the principle of mental gender and vibration. It is customary for the writers and teachings of suggestion to explain that it is the objective or voluntary mind which make the mental impression or suggestion upon the subjective or involuntary mind but they do not describe the process or give us any analogy in nature whereby we may more readily comprehend the idea. But if you will think of the matter in the light of the Hermetic teachings, you will be able to see that the energizing of the feminine principle by the vibratory energy of the masculine principle is in accordance to the universal laws of nature, and that the natural world affords countless analogies whereby the principle may be understood. In fact, the Hermetic teachings show that the very creation of the universe follows the same law, and that, in all creative manifestations, upon the planes of the spiritual, the mental, and the physical, there is always in operation this principle of gender, this manifestation of the masculine and the feminine principles. As above, so below. As below, so above. And more than this, when the principle of mental gender is once grasped and understood, The varied phenomena of psychology at once becomes capable of intelligent classification and study, instead of being very much in the dark. The principle works out, in practice, because it is based upon the immutable universal laws of life. We shall not enter into an extended discussion of, or description of, the varied phenomena of mental influence or psychic activity. There are many books, many of them quite good, which have been written and published on this subject of late years. The main facts stated in these various books are correct, although the several writers have attempted to explain the phenomena by various pet theories of their own. The student may acquaint himself with these matters, and, by using the theory of mental gender, he will be able to bring order out of the chaos of conflicting theory and teachings, and may, moreover, readily make himself a master of the subject if he be so inclined. The purpose of this work is not to give an extended account of psychic phenomena, but rather to give the student a master key whereby he may unlock the many doors leading into the parts of the temple of knowledge which he may wish to explore. We feel that in this consideration of the teachings of the Kabbalion one may find an explanation which will serve to clear away many perplexing difficulties, a key that will unlock many doors. What is the use of going into detail regarding all of the many features of psychic phenomena and mental science provided we place in the hands of the student the means whereby he may acquaint himself fully regarding any phase of the subject which may interest him. With the aid of the cabalion, one may go through any occult library anew, the old light from Egypt, illuminating many dark pages and obscure subjects. That is the purpose of this book. We do not come expounding a new philosophy, but rather furnishing the outlines of a great World old teaching, which will make clear the teachings of others, which will serve as a great reconciler of differing theories and opposing doctrines. Chapter 15 Hermetic Axioms The possession of knowledge, unless accompanied by a manifestation and expression in action, is like the hoarding of precious metals. A vain and foolish thing. Knowledge, like wealth, is intended for use. The law of use is universal, and he who violates it suffers by reason of his conflict with natural forces. THE KABALIAN The Hermetic teachings, while always having been kept securely locked up in the minds of the fortunate possessors thereof, for reasons which we have already stated— were never intended to be merely stored away and secreted. The law of use is dwelt upon in the teachings, as you may see by reference to the above quotation from the Kabbalion, which states it forcibly. Knowledge, without use and expression, is a vain thing, bringing no good to its possessor or to the race. Beware of mental miserliness, and express it into action that which you have learned." Study the axioms and aphorisms, but practice them also. We give below some of the more important hermetic axioms from the Kabbalion, with a few comments added to each. Make these your own, and practice and use them, for they are not really your own until you have used them. To change your mood or mental state, change your vibration. The Kabbalion One may change his mental vibrations by an effort of will, in the direction of deliberately fixing the attention upon a more desirable state. Will directs the attention, and attention changes the vibration. Cultivate the art of attention by means of the will, and you have solved the secret of the mastery of moods and mental states. To destroy an undesirable rate of mental vibration, put into operation the principle of polarity, and concentrate upon the opposite pole to that which you desire to suppress. Kill out the undesirable by changing its polarity. The Cabalion. This is one of the most important of the Hermetic formulas. It is based upon true scientific principles. We have shown you that a mental state and its opposite were merely the two poles of one thing, and that by mental transmutation the polarity might be reversed. This principle is known to modern psychologists, who apply it to the breaking up of undesirable habits by biding their students concentrate upon the opposite quality. If you are possessed of fear, do not waste time trying to kill out fear, but instead cultivate the quality of courage and the fear will disappear. Some writers have expressed this idea most forcibly by using the illustration of the dark room you do not have to shovel out or sweep out the darkness, but by merely opening the shutters and letting in the light, the darkness has disappeared. To kill out a negative quality, concentrate upon the positive pole of that same quality, and the vibrations will gradually change from negative to positive, until finally you will become polarized on the positive pole instead of the negative. The reverse is also true, as many have found out to their sorrow when they have allowed themselves to vibrate too constantly on the negative pole of things. By changing your polarity, you may master your moods, change your mental states, remake your disposition, and build up character. Much of the mental mastery of the advanced hermetics is due to this application of polarity, which is one of the important aspects of mental transmutation. Remember the hermetic axiom, quoted previously, which says, "Mind." as well as metals and elements, may be transmuted from state to state, degree to degree, condition to condition, pole to pole, vibration to vibration. The Cabalion. The mastery of polarization is the mastery of the fundamental principles of mental transmutation, or mental alchemy, for unless one acquires the art of changing his own polarity, he will be unable to affect his environment. An understanding of this principle will enable one to change his own polarity, as well as that of others, if he will but devote the time, care, study, and practice necessary to master the art. The principle is true, but the results obtained depend upon the persistent patience and practice of the student. Rhythm may be neutralized by an application of the art of polarization. The Cabalion. As we have explained in previous chapters, the Hermetists hold that the principle of rhythm manifests on the mental plane as well as on the physical plane, and that the bewildering succession of moods, feelings, emotions, and other mental states are due to the backward and forward swing of the mental pendulum, which carries us from one extreme of feeling to the other. The hermetists also teach that the law of neutralization enables one, to a great extent, to overcome the operation of rhythm in consciousness. As we have explained, there is a higher plane of consciousness, as well as the ordinary lower plane, and the master, by rising mentally to the higher plane, causes the swing of the mental pendulum to manifest on the lower plane, and he, dwelling on his higher plane, escapes the consciousness of the swing backward, This is affected by polarizing on the higher self, and thus raising the mental vibrations of the ego above those of the ordinary plane of consciousness. It is akin to rising above a thing and allowing it to pass beneath you. The advanced hermetist polarizes himself at the positive pole of his being, the I am pole, rather than the pole of personality, and by refusing and denying the operation of rhythm, raises himself above its plane of consciousness and standing firm in his statement of being, he allows the pendulum to swing back on the lower plane, without changing his polarity. This is accomplished by all individuals who have attained any degree of self-mastery, whether they understand the law or not. Such persons simply refuse to allow themselves to be swung back by the pendulum of mood and emotion, and by steadfastly affirming the superiority, they remain polarized on the positive pole. The master, of course, attains a far greater degree of proficiency because he understands the law which he is overcoming by a higher law, and by the use of his will, he attains a degree of poise and mental steadfastness, almost impossible of belief on the part of those who allow themselves to be swung backward and forward by the mental pendulum of moods and feelings. Remember always, however, that you do not really destroy the principle of rhythm for that is indestructible. You simply overcome one law by counterbalancing it with another and thus maintain an equilibrium. The laws of balance and counterbalance are in operation on the mental as well as on the physical planes, and an understanding of these laws enables one to seem to overthrow laws, whereas he is merely exerting a counterbalance. Nothing escapes the principle of cause and effect but there are many planes of causation, and one may use the laws of the higher to overcome the laws of the lower. The cabalion. By an understanding of the practice of polarization, the hermetists rise to a higher plane of causation, and thus counterbalance the laws of the lower planes of causation. By rising above the plane of ordinary causes, they become themselves, in a degree, causes instead of being merely caused. By being able to master their own moods and feelings, and by being able to neutralize rhythm, as we have already explained, they are able to escape a great part of the operations of cause and effect on the ordinary plane. The masses of people are carried along, obedient to their environment, the wills and desires of others stronger than themselves, the effects of inherited tendencies the suggestions of those about them, and other outward causes, which tend to move them about on the chessboard of life like mere pawns. By rising above these influencing causes, the advanced hermetists seek a higher plane of mental action, and by dominating their moods, emotions, impulses, and feelings, they create for themselves new characters, qualities, and powers, by which they overcome their ordinary environment and thus become practically players instead of mere pawns. Such people help to play the game of life understandingly instead of being moved about this way and that way by stronger influences and powers and wills. They use the principle of cause and effect instead of being used by it. Of course, even the highest are subject to the principle as it manifests on the higher planes. But on the lower planes of activity... They are masters instead of slaves. As the Cabalion says, The wise ones serve on the higher, but rule on the lower. They obey the laws coming from above them. But on their own plane, and those below them, they rule and give orders. And yet, in doing so, they form a part of the principle instead of opposing it. The wise man falls in with the law, and by understanding its movements he operates it instead of being its blind slave. Just as does the skilled swimmer, turn this way and that way, going and coming as he will, instead of being as the log which is carried here and there, so is the wise man as compared to the ordinary man. And yet both swimmer and log, wise man and fool, are subject to law. He who understands this is well on the road to mastery. The Kabbalion In conclusion, let us again call your attention to the Hermetic Axiom. True Hermetic Transmutation is a Mental Art The Kabbalion In the above axiom, the Hermetists teach that the great work of influencing one's environment is accomplished by mental power. The universe being wholly mental, it follows that it may be ruled only by mentality, and in this truth is to be found an explanation of all the phenomena and manifestations of the various mental powers which are attracting so much attention and study in these earlier years of the twentieth century. Back of and under the teachings of the various cults and schools remains ever constant the principle of the mental substance of the universe. If the universe be mental in its substantial nature, then it follows that mental transmutation must change the conditions and phenomena of the universe. If the universe is mental, then mind must be the highest power affecting its phenomena. If this be understood, then all the so-called miracles and wonder-workings are seen plainly for what they are. The all is mind. The universe is mental. The Kabbalion